This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property, what's happening locally, nationally and internationally. And let's get into a little bit of news here, a little bit of commentary as well. And the first article from Marty Sharp is an unusual one, yet these things do happen. The headline is Councils Selling Property Because Owner Can't Pay Rates After the Home Burnt Down. So, the poor lady, the uh, called Angela Quintel, ran from her burning home with just the clothes she was wearing. And for the past six years, she's been living with friends or family or out of her car and has been unable to pay council rates on the corner section her home occupied in the small town settlement of Pongaroa in Tararua. So now, against her wishes, the councils that have not been paid rates have put the property up for sale. So Quintel 50 purchased the former haberdashery building in 1997 for $15,000. She had been living in Wellington at the time and found it for sale as is wearers. She said, I found it in the trade and exchange magazine. I had to get a map to find out where Pongaroa was. I was a ward of the state. I never had a home. I wanted this to be it for my kids and I. I wanted to be the best mum I could and for them to have somewhere they could call home, she said. The building is on the town's main road. It had originally been a haberdashery, but later been an op shop, restaurant, cafe, church and everything over the years, Quintel said. So she lived in the house with her two children and her late partner and his daughters. The building was converted into a seven-bedroom house and had been re-roofed and rewired before it burned down in December of 2015, she said. Quintel said she'd been moving on the country since losing her home and she said she was aware she had to pay rates but did not think it'd reach a stage where a rating sale was necessary. She said she had no desire to live back at the property but felt she should have had the opportunity to sell it herself or at least receive the proceeds from the sale. Quintel said she's being asked to pay $20,451 in unpaid rates to the District Council and $1,813 to the Regional Council. So the Tarot District Council and the, regions and the Horizons Regional Council are selling the property by tender under the provisions of the Local Government Rating Act of 2002 for the non-payment of rates. So a uh, little word of warning <laughs> for those of us who are a bit relaxed in that, in that way. So the councils are granted High Court approval to sell the property this month. It's described as a corner section which has a flat contour. The property comes with a concrete water tank and a small shed. The tenders close at 4pm on March the 4th. Any purchaser will have to pay rates from the settlement date but not be required to pay any rates owing to the owner. According to the Tararua District Council, the 1,000 square metre property had a land value of 35000 at September of 2020 and the annual rates bill was 2328 Horizon's Chief Financial Officer Adrian Smith, a friend of mine, says rates, notices, penalty notices and debt letters were sent to Quintel. When payment isn't received within 12 to 18 months, Horizon transfers the debt to Debt Management Central. 
which attempts to contact the ratepayer via letters, email, phone calls and text messages, depending on what information is held. Smith said, should no payment be received upon specified deadlines, the property owners are served with legal proceedings. After legal proceedings, it takes approximately 12 months to reach a sale, he said. What the article doesn't say is what happens to any surplus money there. I would assume it would go back to the owner. Uh, given that the property itself, uh, the value is, is probably about the same as the debt, or it could even be, could even be less, uh, it's going to be very, very hard. And that's a, a uh, sad and difficult situation. One does wonder why the owner didn't consider selling the property somewhat earlier. This one from the world of renting. Cannabis growing operation leads to eviction. A Tauru tenant has been evicted after routine property inspection by the landlord found cannabis plants and growing equipment in three areas of the rental property in Papamoa Beach. I'll explain why this is important shortly, but let's have a read of the, the facts first. The landlord, Realty Focus, applied to the Tenancy Tribunal for termination of a tenancy held by Dion Annan for unlawful use of the premises and exemplary damages and was awarded $600. The landlord found a black tent in bedroom two and inside were fans, lights and drying racks, buckets and boxes. Cut cannabis leaves were in a box suggesting there had been a recent harvest. In the walk-in wardrobe to the master bedroom, there were three plants growing with lighting, a heater and fan. In the hot water cupboard on top of the cylinder of seedlings and a tray. Having been caught with the cannabis, Annan told the tribunal the property manager failed to give him notice of her inspection, so she went into the house unlawfully. He says the property manager's failure to call the police about the cannabis was because she knew she'd entered unlawfully. He also claimed there was no cannabis and having indoor gardening equipment is not illegal. He did, however, confirm he had previously told the landlord he'd grown cannabis in the past for use in edible foods for clients with cancer. The landlord says she decided not to report the incident to the police because she believed there would have been unlikely to lay charges. Adjudicator Ruth Lee says it would have been preferable to have reported the incident. It's not for her to assess what action the police may or may not take. Anan may also tell the tribunal who's served with two breach notices for lawns not mown and no battery in the smoke alarm, but no mention was made of any unlawful activity. He says the cannabis evidence must then be disregarded. However, the tribunal says the landlord's entry for an inspection uh, lawful was lawful as she'd emailed in a notice of the intended entry with the required notice period. I do not accept the landlord's inspection was a breach of Annan's privacy, said Lee. She was able to take photographs of contents of boxes and in some cases the bird's eye view angle meant contents of boxes could be seen. A criminal charge and conviction is not required for the tribunal to establish an unlawful use of the premises. Now that's something that is really important. In fact, it's the most important part of this article. So just read that again. A criminal charge and conviction is not required for the tribunal to establish an unlawful use of the premises. So for many years, if tenants were doing something illegal to property, you had to get the police involved, get a police report. They then had to be charged um, and uh, possibly, well not possibly, they'd have to be convicted before you could take steps, for example, to end the tenancy. So it's really interesting to say that a criminal in charge and conviction is not required for the tribunal to establish an unlawful use of the premises. So uh, good for landlords to know that if you can find evidence of unlawful use, then tenancy tribunal may indeed uh, rule in your favour and quickly. 
The adjudicator goes on to say the breach is not capable of remedy because the activity cannot be undone, and even so, Anand had plenty of warning. Two re-inspections were conducted, so he could re- so he could remove the grain equipment, but he did not do this; merely placed it in taped boxes. It would be inequitable to refuse to terminate the tenancy. Lee says there is some low level of social stigma, although growing cannabis for medicinal purposes has more social acceptance, but must be done lawfully if that is what was occurring. There is strong public interest in deterring tenants from conducting unlawful activities in tenancy premises. So that was a win there for landlords who are concerned about unlawful, uh, unlawful activities in the premises. If you're interested in knowing what constitutes unlawful activities, uh, the Crimes Act, you could look up on legislation.govt.nz. The Crimes Act will have definitions of uh, what sort of acts are unlawful. Going back to the uh, sales market here, this article uh, is a bit sad. Uh, It says young couple lose first home after developer increases the price by $150,000. So the Glen Eden couple, Fraser Goldbraith, and Marina Person found fell victim to a sunset clause. So when Fraser and Marina paid a deposit on their first home at the Rosier Park development in Glen Eden, Auckland, in January last year, they were relieved to have secured a home in an overheated market. But then, in late November, the couple received an email from developer F&P Dream Homes lawyers saying that to keep the new build property, they'd have to pay an additional $150,000. No doubt they might have just had that in their wallet or, you know, just hidden under the mattress. But the couple weren't alone. Every other one of the seven buyers in their block also had to walk away after being hit by the same increase, uh, the F&P figures show. The young couple say they couldn't afford the new price tag of 775, so they lost the property and found themselves competing in a market that CoreLogic figures show had leapt 23% in between when they paid their deposit and received the letter, taking the median house price from 824000 to over $1.01 million. Imagine that. Imagine that. That's so sad. You think you've got a home from January to late November, then you're told you have to pay 150 more. You can't do it, and now you're priced out the market. So for those folks who are currently living uh, with parents, losing their first home means delaying starting a family. Gilbraith says they feel betrayed, absolutely betrayed, and feel like they've been used. He also defends the move to increase prices, saying early buyers secured the homes on average for 630 for a two-bedroom home and 690 for a three-bedroom home. The market rate for those new homes is now 900000 and $1 million respectively, so even with an extra $150,000, purchasers would be gaining if they'd elected to stay in. He says they just couldn't do it. F&P Dream Homes were able to request the additional bout by citing a sunset clause in the purchasing contract. Now, sunset clauses are typically intended to protect both parties if build milestones are not met by a certain date, allowing either the builder or the buyer to walk away if certificates of compliance are not issued within a certain time frame. And these are common. In the case of Galbraith and Pearson's property, the date was set for December 20, and the couple told if they would like to, if they would have to accept the higher price by December 10 or the sunset clause would be invoked and they would lose the property. That's a real toughie. Sunset clauses were for the benefit of both parties and a developer cannot meet the sunset clause if lockdowns and material shortages make it possible for the development, or impossible, should say, for the development to be completed. 
He says most in the industry is advising not to have sunset clauses and instead proposing firms insert a force majeure clause which essentially frees both parties from liability or obligation when an extraordinary event occurs that's beyond the control of the parties. So after repeated media reports of home buyers losing their new builds to developers citing the sunset clause to demand higher prices, the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, that's MB, they're now monitoring the situation. Commerce and Consumer Affairs Minister David Clark told staff, I'm aware of media reports alleging the misuse of sunset clauses and MB informs me it is monitoring the situation for signs of increasing prevalence. Clark says the Commerce Commission is equipped to help those who believe the interests are not being met under the Fair Trading Act. But I'm told the Commission has received no formal complaints about sunset clauses. So the price increase of Galbraith and Pearson's home equates to about 24% rise and almost identical to the house price increases in the surrounding area. CoreLogic's Cordell Construction Cost Index, which is based on a combination of labour, material, plant hire and subtract subcontractor costs showed in the year ending September the cost of building only rose 5.5%. So when they started, the total construction costs were $2,050 per square metre and they currently stand at $2,800 per square metre. So it's pretty pretty hard to know uh, how that's going and, and these folks are now, uh, they had originally received a discount as early bird buyers, uh, which was just fantastic. Um, however, uh, their their details of buying locally have now been crushed. So uh, that's really sad. Um, and again, if the uh, Galbraith and Pearson had been able to pay that extra hundred and fifty, then then the property would have worth been worth uh, about three hundred thousand more uh, in today's market. So who's right? Who's wrong? Uh, very hard to know. Actually, it's an interesting one um, to to know. I guess that some of these unusual things do happen in a uh, very rapidly rising market and the Commerce Commission is encouraging buyers to come forward about any inappropriate use of sunset clauses by developers in the last few years and I imagine they'll probably get some. We're going to go to a little bit of music now and here's Adele on NPR with When We Were Young. Everybody loves the things you do From the way you talk To the way you move Everybody is watching you Cause you feel like home You're like a dream come true But if by chance you're here alone Can I have a moment Before I go Cause I've been by myself all night long Hoping you're someone I used to know You look like a movie You sound like a soul God, this reminds me of when we were young. Let me photograph you in this light in case it is the last time that we might be exactly like we were before we realized we're a of getting older. 
like a movie It was just like a song I was so scared to face my fears Nobody told me That you'd be here And I swear you moved overseas That's what you said Listening to Property Matters here on NPR Manawatu People's Radio Te Reo Irangi or Natangata or Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. Lovely having your company. And I thought you may be interested. There are parts of New Zealand where the median house values are actually under three hundred thousand dollars. So where can you get a home where the median house values are under three hundred thousand. Well, this article by Miriam Bell on stuff.co.nz says that only eight suburbs nationwide have a median value under three hundred thousand, and there are only one hundred and eight suburbs with a median below five hundred thousand, according to new core magic core magic core logic, I should say, mapping analysis. So these areas are Westport, Wairoa, Reefton, Partia, Blaketown, Cobton, Mataura, Ruananga, and they all had median values below 300,000 at the end of last year. Now I'm going to have to look some of those up, I must admit. Sorry, I'm geographically challenged. But that equated to about 1% of suburbs, down from 18% five years ago. And even in December 2020, there were 22 suburbs with a median under 300,000. What a quick change. The decline in the number of suburbs with medians below 500,000 was just as stark. Five years ago, 53% of properties were in that category. By the end of 2020, there were 23%. 
And then at the end of last year, 11% under 500,000. At the same time, the analysis showed all 966 suburbs covered had an increase in their median value in 2021. There were 20% or more uh, where values rose. Um, 40% or more rises, sorry, there were 20% more rises in 698 suburbs. 40% rises in more than seven suburbs and 800 recorded value increases of over 100,000 in one year. That's 800 out of the 966 suburbs went up by 100,000 in one year. Incredible. There were actually four suburbs whose median house price went up over $550,000 in one year. That's Hearn Bay in Auckland, Arrowtown, Jacks Point and Lake Hayes in Queenstown. The smallest dollar gain was in Runanga in Grey District where the median value is up $29,500. CoreLogic's chief property economist Kelvin Davidson said the broad-based upturn reflected common drivers such as low mortgage rates and historically tight supply of listings throughout the country. But the hottest markets lately had been around the central and lower North Island and the highest increases in the analysis were Tararua, Whangarei, Waikato and Napier, he said. Part of that reflects the lower starting price points in those areas and therefore better affordability. An exception was Rolleston and Selwyn, Canterbury, where the median value is up 41.7% to 834200 And really there's not much surprise there according to Kelvin Davidson. There's been so much construction there recently. So it's pretty, pretty incredible the, uh, the changes there and um, how that's been going. And one thing that can affect price changes, of course, is uh, potentially real estate agents. And this article by Jared and Can says, homes.co.nz is criticised for allowing estate agents to influence price estimates. Popular property website homes.co.nz allows real estate agents to influence listings estimated prices with their own appraisals, which can result in the estimates increasing hundreds of thousands of dollars in days. Homes.co.nz chief data scientist Tom Linton said the vast majority of listings received no influence from agents and when they did their appraisals were fed into the site's algorithms to create its home's estimate. The potential buyer, however, was not told if a property's price estimate had been influenced by the agent trying to sell it, a fact that has been criticised by Consumer New Zealand. I think letting people know that an estimate had been generated by an agent acting for the vendor would be good from a transparency perspective, Consumer Chief Executive John Duffy said. So stuff has looked into multiple properties listings on homes.co.nz where the estimated price jumps substantially following appraisals and valuations provided by the estate agent or owner. These included a four-bedroom home on the Kapiti Coast currently listed that increased an estimated price by $200,000 days before it was listed for sale in September, going from $1.05 million to $1.25. And Linton confirmed that an increase in estimate occurred after a current market appraisal or CMA was submitted by the real estate agent. The property estate's agent told staff the increase followed a registered valuation being done on the property. Stuff has seen the valuation, which was still 15000 below the CMA submitted. The agent said this additional bump up in price expectation was based on recent price tags of other properties in the area. However, the steep increase does not match the more gradual climb in prices recorded by homes.co.nz in the surrounding suburb. 
In another instance, a five-bedroom home in Petone, Lower Hutt, was sold in, last, in May last year for 860000 and has now more than doubled its estimated price to $1.8 million. And that followed a sharp jump in the fortnight between September 23rd and October 7th, where the home's estimated price increased by $780,000. The tenanted property is owned by investor Steve Goody, who said he asked homes.co.nz to increase the estimate after conducting extensive renovations and having a registered valuer go through. So there's uh, interesting to see how that goes. Now, how many how many listings do agent estimates affect? They reckon about three percent of the listings received a current market appraisal from the real estate agent. These were fed into the site's algorithm as part of a number of factors that dictated the final home's estimate. Now, real estate agents these days are quite regulated, and they have to really justify their valuations quite significantly. So I don't see this as being quite as dramatic as an effect, as what is maybe portrayed in this article. The homes.co.nz have defended the practice of allowing estate agents to inform estimate prices, saying agents knew the properties and local market better than website staff, which is a really good point. Homes.co.nz are just doing algorithms, and so getting some local knowledge can be really helpful. He did confirm, though, that the website did not inform the potential buyer if the home's estimate had been influenced by a real estate agent's appraisal. The website stated estimates were based on a proprietary formula which were calculated from public data, registered valuers, valuations and real estate agents CMA. So the website states it. He said he would raise the issue internally with homes.co.nz where the website should notify potential buyers in future when an estate agent's appraisal had been used to form the home's estimate. It's important to understand that agents do not manipulate prices, rather use their professional opinion to give a market appraisal range, he said. Linton said CMAs are sometimes provided at below the house estimate, home estimate price if, for example, the home is in disrepair. So in a sign of the market possibly falling, Linton said homes.co.nz had received feedback that some of the home's estimates were higher than the eventual sales prices. So uh, that then went to the Commerce uh, Commission, got comment on that. Uh, and... Uh, the Real Estate Agents Act must provide a vendor a written estimate of what they expect property to sell for prior to an agency agreement being signed. So if agents overestimate the expected selling price to get the listing or to manipulate selling price, they could be subject to disciplinary proceedings under the Real Estate Agents Act. They could also be prosecuted under the Fair Trading Act for misleading contact. Conduct, I should say. We also understand that valuations are changing at pace at the moment, which could explain some increases appearing steeper than normal. It would be highly problematic, however, if the CMA the agent has provided the vendor differs wildly from the price range provided on homes.co.nz. Belinda Moffat, the Chief Executive of the Real Estate Authority, said Rule 10.2 of the Code of Conduct stated that an appraisal of land or business must be provided in writing to a client by a licensee, realistically reflect current market conditions and be supported by comparable sales in similar locations. So therefore, the breach, uh, if there is a breach or if they are overstating things, uh, there is more than one avenue in which they can get penalised. So I'd still like to think that those uh, agent opinions are helping the homes figures rather than hindering them. That's all we have time for this week on Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. You can search me Greg Watson in Palmerston North if you want to find more information about this or the radio show or you can go to mpr.nz It's Manawatu People's Radio. We can find this where all good podcasts are found. Thanks for listening and we'll catch up again in a week's time.
support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.